0: This is episode 10, Emotional Adulthood. Hello everyone, welcome to the Simply Resilient podcast. My name is Jessie Ellertsen, and this is a podcast for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of frequent deployments and trainings, but want to stop feeling mentally miserable in the process. You know what to do, and you're doing it, all while holding down the fort at home. But you are weary from living in survival mode and battling with your brain. If you are ready to thrive, then you are in the right place. Our battle buddy moment for today is a review from Christine, and she says... I have been coached by Jessie, and each time she has guided me to find the solution I was searching for. Even though I felt completely stumped, she helped me work through that block and find the thoughts and feelings I was hoping for. I highly recommend her. She's a great coach with a great balance of knowledge, impact, concern, and patience. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that review, Christine. I really have so many amazing clients that I get to work with that are all so supportive of my life coaching business that they're willing to leave those reviews for you all to see, to know how awesome this work can be. And that's why I call it a battle buddy moment because really we're all looking out for each other. We have each other's back. With that, I'd like to talk about my podcast party. This is day three. You guys are doing awesome. You're participating, you're sharing, you're liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing. I love it. Keep the entries coming. And we'll do that drawing on Saturday evening for three pairs of AirPods. Okay, so I have a visual I want to share with you before we get into our topic. It came to me the other day and I just have been thinking about it and couldn't wait to share it with you guys here on the podcast. It's just kind of a perfect example of the solutions that our lower brain offers us versus the solutions that our higher brain offers us. So I want you to imagine you're at the pool as a family with your kids and you swim all day until the sun starts to go down. So it's a little bit cooler outside and everyone's tired and hungry and cold and you get out of the pool. And I love to watch how little kids just kind of drape their towel over their shoulders and hope for the best. Where if you look around, most adults are intentionally drying off their bodies because they know that's what it takes to not be cold anymore. And the kids with the towels around their shoulders feel a little bit better. They're doing better than if they didn't have a towel, but they're still sopping wet under underneath the towel and i just love that visual because it's like our lower brain is saying like do this thing that helps a little bit but the problem's totally still there and our higher brain offers us like this will take a little bit more work and intentionality but it truly resolves the problem i just i love that visual so i hope you enjoyed that and that leads us into talking about emotional adulthood today one way to describe emotional adulthood is it's when we take responsibility for how we feel so what i'd like to do first is actually take a look at what emotional childhood looks like to help you understand kind of the opposite of emotional adulthood. So emotional childhood is when we do not take responsibility for how we feel. I think it's important to notice that we're taught from a young age that other people hurt our feelings and that we hurt other people's feelings. When we were children and adults would say to us, oh did they hurt your feelings or don't say that or you'll hurt their feelings. And while we should have good behavior and we should teach our children good behavior, it's just a rather unproductive way to teach that concept of what you said hurt their feelings and now you need to go make them feel better instead of we don't want to be a person who insults other people and we should be more conscious of our behavior and the way we treat people and apologize for your bad behavior instead of apologizing for how you made them feel. We're similarly trained in our marriages to think this way in that... Now that we're married, it's important that we know what our partner's needs and wants are and that we go to work meeting those wants and needs instead of the alternative would be to meet our own needs and take care of ourselves, and then just have so much fun taking care of our partner from a position of doing it for the fun and the joy of it and for being the wife or husband that you want to be instead of they have these big gaping holes in their cupcake and they need me to fill them up so that they can be happy. The reason that being in emotional childhood is a problem is because if someone else is in charge of how we feel, we feel like we need to control them in order for us to feel the way we wanna feel. So if we're believing that other people are the reason that we're feeling the way we feel, then we are in this awful position of needing to have their behavior go a certain way so that we can feel okay. Sometimes emotional childhood looks like rage or fits, temper tantrums, yelling, screaming, and one of my favorites, rebelling. Now that to me does sound like our lower brain, right? A little bit like that toddler brain. When we act out those emotions that come from our lower brain or from emotional childhood, we may not lay on the ground kicking and screaming, but we're kind of doing the adult equivalent of that. Um, like I said, my favorite of those is rebelling, and I think it's pretty interesting. I'll find myself going on a diet that I've decided to do. This was in the past before I was able to see what emotional adulthood and emotional childhood were in me. But I would go on a diet that I had decided to do for my rational brain. And I felt great about it. And I liked the plan. And I wanted to do the work and get the results. But my lower brain was not a big fan of the diet. And it would offer me all kinds of thoughts like no one can tell me what to eat, or this is too hard, I should be able to eat whatever I want thoughts like that. And it's that interesting rebellion of feeling restricted and then wanting to go against what someone's restricting you to do, which is just really fascinating to me because I'm the one who was telling me what to do, not even anybody else. Another reason that being an emotional childhood is a problem is that we end up waiting around for other people to make us feel better instead of empowering ourselves to feel exactly the way we want to feel. I've also found that when you're in emotional childhood that you are super aware of people treating you poorly and that most of your stories end with, Can you believe they did that to me? and that you're often very easily offended. None of that feels very good, and I would encourage you to watch for that in your life and see where that's coming from. You might also feel entitled to something you haven't earned, or catch yourself blaming your circumstances for how you feel, which is one of our favorite tricks of our lower brain is it wants us to skip the thought line. It wants to say, so-and-so said this to me, and that's in our circumstance, and even though we logically know we can think however we want to about what that person said, we're feeling offended or angry or or whatever we're feeling. And our, our lower brain wants us to think that because they said that we're feeling offended. It wants us to skip the thought line of, no, I'm feeling offended because I've decided that what she said was inappropriate. I've decided that what she said was hurtful to me. And so the biggest thing that I take away from this is this concept of Other people don't hurt me. I think hurtful thoughts and that's when I feel the pain that comes from that. Okay, so let's take a look at what emotional adulthood looks like. So like I said at the beginning of this episode, emotional adulthood is when we take responsibility for how we feel. This looks like making choices for how I want to feel, intentionally choosing what I want to think and making these plans ahead of time for how I want to react in different situations and how I want to keep all of that power and not give it away to anybody else for how I feel. It's a very empowered place to operate from. And ultimately, it means that we get to be the people that we want to be, that we decide to be intentionally, which is one of the greatest results I think that is available to us. The reason why emotional adulthood works so well and is such an exciting result to achieve is that we are the best ones to meet our own needs. And the promise of emotional childhood is that someone else will make us happy, but they're not as good at making us happy as we are. Truly, there's no one better to meet our own needs than ourselves and to make us happy than ourselves and to know what we need need and know what we want than ourselves and if we are able to come to that understanding like for example in a marriage if the if the husband and the wife are able to come to each other and say we're in this together i'm the best one to meet my own needs and you're the best one to meet your own needs so we'll take care of that and then we can just have fun with each other and have a great time being in love and being married and raising children and to never come to each other with gaping holes in our cupcake emotional adulthood looks like being responsible for your own happiness and your own unhappiness. Again, we often choose to be unhappy and that's totally okay as long as you're acknowledging that no one else made you unhappy. You are choosing it at this moment and there's nothing wrong with that. We're also responsible for our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, and our results. When we're in emotional adulthood, we treat people nicely because we want to, because it's the person we want to be. Often when people hear about this concept of emotional adulthood where we just take care of our own needs, and we let other people take care of their own needs. We're not responsible for how they feel or making them happy. They worry that that means that we're going to treat people poorly. But truly, when you're in emotional adulthood, you are more conscious of your behavior and you feel completely responsible for your behavior. And you behave well, again, from that place of wanting to be a person who is kind and loving and caring and nice rather than from a place of, the responsibility over their feelings and that's why you're going to be nice to them. Ultimately, emotional childhood is easier, but emotional adulthood is better. I want to make a recommendation that learning this tool is never an excuse or a reason to point it out to other people when they're in emotional childhood. Nobody wants to have that pointed out to them and it's not an effective way to enlighten them and create change. The reason we learn this tool and all these tools in mind management is. not for other people, it is for ourselves. So as you listen to this episode and take a look at your own life for areas that you are in emotional adulthood or emotional childhood, you need to keep that focus on yourself and not turn it out to other people. Like that scripture says, it's easy to find the moat in someone else's eye, but we don't see the beam in our own. So I'd really encourage you to use this tool for your own personal benefit, your personal reflection, and your personal improvement, and to let other people just be in emotional childhood if that's what they're choosing to be. You will Create so much happiness and benefit and improvement in your own life just by working on this for yourself. Another thing that's important to know about emotional childhood is that we don't graduate from it. There's never a point at which we arrive in emotional adulthood and never return to emotional childhood. And that's important to know because even you can spend a lot of time on this work and be doing so much better in so many areas and then just still have days where you dip into emotional childhood or you visit it and you have two options at that point. You can make it mean that the work that you've done isn't sticking or isn't working or isn't worth your time, or you can Call it what it is, which is, oh, I just watched myself indulge in a little bit of emotional childhood. I remember now why I try to not visit that place very often, and I'm quick and ready to apologize for that behavior and just move forward and not make it mean anything else beyond that. Okay, so we are going to wrap up this episode with a couple of our favorite segments. The first one is our hot mess moment. Now, the story I'm going to share with you guys today is a touch inappropriate. It may even be a bit of an overshare, but I hope you'll bear with me because it's just so completely hilarious. I have to share it. Last year, when my husband was deployed. He spent a couple months in Texas before heading over to Iraq and he is a Blackhawk pilot and several pilots flew some of Utah's Blackhawks down to Texas for their training down there. And so just a week before they were ready to head over to Iraq, those pilots had to fly the Blackhawks home again and then just go on a regular commercial airplane back to Texas to then go as a group over to Iraq. So my husband ended up being one of the pilots to fly one of the Blackhawks home and he let me know and we were so excited, but he was only going to be home for like 24 hours. And we decided that it would be too tumultuous for our kids to see him. They were just getting to a place where they were used to him being gone. And I didn't want to start all of that over and kind of throw that wrench in their lives. And rather, even though it would be wonderful to see him, they would have to say goodbye again. I knew I had the tools to handle that, but that they were just, just kind of getting to that good place. So I also didn't want to share this 24 hours with anyone in Brad's family. So we decided to tell no one that he was coming home. So I had a nanny at the time. So I was able to tell her and schedule her to be with my kids. And we made a plan. We got a hotel room and we just had this super fun, awesome rendezvous for 24 hours. And then we prepared to say goodbye again. Well, my husband's kind of a stinker and definitely a joker. And he thought it would be hilarious to give me a hickey on my neck. So what's funny about this is it's August in Utah. It's super hot outside. There's no way I can wear any of my cute scarves or turtlenecks and I have this massive hickey on my neck the other funny thing is that no one knows he's come home and he has now left again and I in just two days was going to actually fly to Texas to spend a week with him before he went to Iraq and I have a hickey on my neck So in the two days between saying goodbye to my husband in Utah and flying to see him in Texas, I had a family Sunday dinner with his family. Plus I had to hang out with my kids and I have this huge bruise on my neck. It was an awkward weekend and I was able to cover it with makeup, but it's pretty obvious when you see a hickey covered up with makeup, what's happening. And several of my kids said, mom, do you have a zit? What's on your neck? And I would just kind of brush it off like, oh, you know, yeah, it's just a zit. It's a, you know, I just got a rag. I don't know I just brushed it off in a couple different ways and they were pretty um, unsuspicious so that wasn't too hard but they definitely noticed it and then we go to his family's house for Sunday dinner and I kind of forgot it was there and I was getting weird looks from his brother during dinner and he wasn't saying anything and I just kept catching him looking at me and I realized he was looking at my neck so all the kids are at the dinner table and all the grown-ups and nobody knows that Brad was home for a day. And I realized that he thinks I'm like stepping out on his brother because how else would I have a hickey on my neck? And so I'm just dying inside, just laughing and mortified all at the same time. And we're able to finish dinner and send the kids out to play. And I'm able to quickly explain to his, the adults in his family what happened. And they were laughing so hard because he was very concerned about that hickey on my neck. So it just gets one more layer better in that the next day I go to the airport to fly to Texas to see my husband and amazingly enough, I bump into my husband's boss at the airport and he's with his wife and instead of her going to Texas to spend time with him on his leave before he goes over to Iraq, he decided to come home to spend time with her before he then went over to Iraq. So she had brought him to the airport for him to fly back to Texas because the different different people took their leave at different times over this two-week period. And I'm just chatting with them in the airport thinking it was a pretty fun coincidence that I ran into them there and I'm getting weird looks from him again. And I'm thinking, why is he giving me weird looks? And I remember the hickey. And then I even think, well, he should know Brad came home. And I realized, no, he's been on leave for five days and doesn't know Brad came home. So now he thinks I'm stepping out on my husband who is his soldier, one of his favorites and I just am mortified again and I think I cannot believe how many people I've had to explain this awful hickey to Oh, and each piece of this story just makes my husband so happy that he caused me all this strife. He's such a stinker, but I love him. And that's been one of the most fun parts of our marriage is just navigating his sense of humor and him just spicing things up with things like this. So, I had to embarrassingly explain to my husband's boss that Brad gave me a hickey and thought it was hilarious that lots of people could see it and think that I was cheating on my husband, which if you know me, you would just know that wasn't even in the realm of possibility. And it was just a really humbling and funny, hilarious weekend. And my husband took a lot of delight in my discomfort. (laughs) Okay, so... Our in the trenches moment for this episode is actually from a listener who wants to be anonymous and she says, I am a caretaker for my elderly father. Unfortunately, my visits were not going well. My dad would spend a significant amount of our time together complaining, criticizing and comparing and he would try to convince me he was right and wanted me to agree with him. I tried stating my opinion, which either wounded him or wound him up even more. I tried saying nothing, but being lonely, he really wanted to engage. Me, so I would come home frustrated and stressed. My anxiety levels surrounding my trip were always high. All of this made me very sad because I consider it a real honor to have this time to be with my dad before he dies. I wanted to show my gratitude for the really great father he has been to me. Basically, we were all miserable. As I've described, it was quite obvious where I was in the model at the time, so I began to explore my intentional model. I knew that my circumstances would not change. I accepted that there was no real possibility of my dad changing or improving. As far as the feelings and results I was hoping for, I wanted to honor him and show him my love. I wanted our time together to have elements of sweetness, peace, and joy. I hoped that I could come to look forward to my ministering time with him and not dread it. As I focused on the thought, I had several come to mind that I just couldn't get myself to believe. Thoughts and feelings that included compassion and mercy. But then in the middle of my ponderings, the word gentle came to me, and I knew immediately that was what I needed to be what I needed to do. On the next visit, I kept my new thought in the forefront of my mind, be gentle. It was a miracle. Without the circumstances changing one bit, Everything else changed. When he complained, I responded with gentleness. When he criticized and compared, I was gentle with him. I didn't condone or correct. I was just gentle. It was beautiful and continues to be such a blessing. And the wondrous thing is that we are now living the feelings and results I hoped and prayed for. Thank you so much for submitting that In the Trenches moment. And I want to say one thing I love about that example is the thought that we choose to use to redirect our to a new model, is often quite simple like that. It doesn't have to be a lengthy sentence. And in fact, it's helpful when it's simple because that means it's easy to remember right in the moment when normally you would have gone the other way. So her new thought was just be gentle and it changed everything for her. I'm going to end with our mission for the episode, which is to just explore this concept of emotional adulthood and emotional childhood in your own life and take some time to write down a few examples of where you're seeing yourself do this well or not so well. Um, A few questions I have for you to ask yourself and you would really benefit from taking some time to write down the answers, but I'd like you to start by naming a person or circumstance that you believe is causing a negative feeling and describe how they're making you feel. Then describe why you think they have the power to control your feelings this way. What is the thought you're thinking that's really causing this feeling watch your lower brain want you to skip that thought line but force your lower brain to take a look at what thought you are thinking that is causing this feeling can you see that it's the thought and not the person or the circumstance causing the feeling why is that good news it's the best news how might you take responsibility for your feelings in the future thank you so much for spending this time with me and good luck in your efforts thank you for listening and making time in your day if this podcast resonates with you Send an email to jessie at simplyresilient.net to schedule a free mini session and see if working with me would be a great fit for you. Remember, when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.